The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Old Testament reading of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, and serves as the basis of our theme for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. The text that I just finished reading does serve as the basis of our theme for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany and serves as the basis of the theme for this message. You have life in this land. Over 180 years ago, the Lutherans were under unbelievable pressure to be reasonable. Frederick William III was the king of the Prussian Union in 1838, and he wanted a more measured pace to faith and religion, one where everyone would rationally worship together. The problem for the Lutherans was best summarized by Martin Westerhaus, who wrote, Exorcism was abolished in the rite of baptism. Private confession was done away with. Crucifixes were removed from altars, as were the traditional pyramids. The pastors no longer wore traditional vestments. Bread was substituted for the host in the communion service. The chanting of the liturgy was dropped. No Lutheran could object that these changes in rites and customs were scripturally intolerable. Yet, all of these changes were in the direction of making the Lutheran worship service more like the Reformed service. Now, this doesn't seem like that big a deal to us today. We don't have crucifixes. We don't have exorcism and baptism. And we don't chant everything all the time. Just like Martin said, it was all scripturally tolerable. So why were those Lutherans so upset? Why couldn't they just get along with the Reformed groups and make one big church? Why had living in that land become so intolerable they felt compelled to immigrate to Missouri in the USA, making our church's national name for the next 250 years? Well, I'll tell you why. It was because they were ultimately being forced to deny God's word and commune with groups that did not confess God's words with the clarity of what Jesus said, 
but rather with the idea that communion is reasonably what people think it should be. In a word, rationalism. This was Moses' clear warning and caution to God's people standing before the land they were about to immigrate to as well, the promised land. Now, the degree to which they are being cautioned is much more severe, to be sure. But the fledgling people of God were no less tempted because the land they came from, the land for which they were about to enter, had the exact same challenges the Lutherans did in the 19th century had as well. The Pharaoh of Egypt and the kings of Canaan would likewise tempt them with reasonable gods that they could rationally worship. Never mind Yahweh's almighty direction. He is truly too difficult. Come as you are. Get what you want. Are the phrases the Egyptian and Canaanite priests enticed God's people with. But God warned them through Moses in chapter 29, verse 17. You have seen their detestable things. Their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. These were not the God who redeemed their firstborn from the angel of death with the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and the lintel of their houses. These were not gods, were not the God that saved them through the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. These, these were not the God who miraculously provided them manna and quail in abundance and water from a rock in the desert. These were the gods who promised you everything, but gave you nothing. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds them of the one true God, and with the words of the one true God, tells them what he will give them, and in fact, had already promised them, making it as sure as anything can ever be. God gave them the promised land. He provided them a choice as to how they could live in the land they had been given. And the choice would be life or death. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? After all, who would choose death over life? Who in their right mind would ever choose obviously bad over good? Nobody, right? And yet... Somehow people still die prematurely in completely avoidable ways by choosing ever so poorly. Sometimes it comes in the form of addiction to drugs, overindulgence of alcohol, or any number of things we willingly put in our bodies for the high, the desire to release, or just because the most tempting God of all says, Everybody's doing it. And not just that. We overindulge in food, tobacco, and social media to the point of destroying our eyes, our lungs, and our bodies because we simply can't resist the temptation to have what we want when we want it. And we willfully put the pedal to the metal in one-ton vehicles in ways that are dangerous beyond imagination because we disobey speed limits, endangering anyone's life in and outside our main modes of transportation. The gods of Egypt and Canaan still call out to us 
to binge in whimsical self-indulgence. After all, it's reasonable and affordable and accessible. Come on, everybody's doing it. Advertisers sell it. Hollywood celebrities promote it. And if there is a buyer, someone will provide it, promising you the world and providing nothing for the harm we do to our souls. I know what you're thinking. Okay, Pastor, you got me there. But church is different. We would never listen to the false gods of false promises today. No reasonable person would fail like that in the modern church today. This is the new millennium. We're smarter than that. We all thought that in the 70s, too. Then professors from my beloved seminary came to our church campuses and tried to tell us God's word wasn't always true. Noah wasn't in a worldwide flood. Jonah wasn't swallowed by a fish. The Red Sea didn't part. And a think tank, known nationally as the Jesus Seminar, even suggested that most of what Jesus said in Scripture isn't what Jesus ever said. How they know what he said is beyond my comprehension, but there it is. It should be clear to us today that they chose anything but the real life God gave them to begin with. They chose poorly, faithlessly, selfishly, and ultimately, damnably. Today, we can tell them that even though they chose death, the one true God gave them life. Even though they choose curses, the one true God gives them blessings. And God gave it all before anyone could even ask for it. God gave it for giving their sinful eating of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. God gave it by freeing them from slavery under the Egyptians. God gave it by forgiving their choices, leading to lives full of needless chattel in their mindless meandering in the wilderness. God gave them everything until he finally gave them himself in the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then he gave them even more. He gave them his life for their ultimate blessing, which was his ultimate curse. For their life meant his death. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein gives us a picture of just how willing God is to give in spite of our inability to appreciate it. If you've never read it, I encourage you to get a copy and read it with your children and grandchildren. In an online article by Anthony Ford, the story is perfectly summarized. He writes, on its face, the story is about a tree's sacrificial love for a boy. They play together happily every day. But the boy grows up and he pursues the trappings of adulthood, money, a house, a family, and travel. So the tree gives the boy her apples to sell, her branches to build a house, and her trunk to make a boat. By the end, the tree is nothing but a stump. But the boy 
now a tired old man, needs nothing more than a quiet place to rest. So he sits on the tree, and she is happy. Each time the boy returns from an unsatisfactory life to the tree, which has always satisfied him, he takes from her what he believes will make life satisfying away from her until finally he can only be satisfied forever by simply staying with her. This is our God, always giving to us. This is good life he always wants us to have, even though he will give us the choice to be without him. Each time he lets us go, he's always waiting for us to come back to the real life in the real eternal land he promises. Not the life that advertisers promise. Not the life false religions and false gods promise us. Not even the life the principalities of this world promise, for all those promises are nothing compared to the life we have in Christ. You have an eternal land, and God has offered you this choice about your current living will be carried out by you. Will you choose living in the gossip of social media? Will you choose living with hope and material things that will only pass away on Judgment Day? Will you live looking forward to any excuse you can find without the Lord in your life? Or will you live in devotion to his words of life? Will you come to the place where he promises to come to you to serve you as very body and blood like he says to strengthen you and forgive you? Will you observe his command to go and baptize all nations in his holy name so that they may be saved? Will you take hold of the new heavens and new earth by searching scripture to see the one who made that possible for you by his sacrifice on that faithful day in the promised land over 2,000 years ago? Will you have by faith what he gave you by grace this day? <clears throat> you will. You will have life in his eternal land. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen. Mm -hmm.